This is a podcast from meow.net. M-I-A-A-W dot net. Meow! Welcome to Genuine Inquiry, a monthly series of audio essays, each of which interrogates a topic close to our hearts. Hello and welcome to another episode of Genuine Inquiry. My name is Owen Kelly and today I want to look at how we might best approach the idea of vegan meat. A contradictory idea but an idea that's becoming increasingly popular, increasingly discussed. I can remember a few years ago my first year students used to always complain, not all of them but many of them, always complain about the fact that it was very difficult being a vegan as a young person. And then suddenly major manufacturers started bringing out a whole mass, a whole range of vegan products from pizzas through to sausages and burgers and student complaints changed. They said it's so difficult being a proper vegan, you have to buy all this rubbish from big corporations. And later still McDonald's introduced the McVegan in Finland and I said to students well what about this then? You're winning. And they said, that's not real vegan food. We wouldn't eat that. And I realised then that the whole notion of veganism was very complex. It wasn't a simple matter of substitution. It was a much wider social issue to do with how food was produced, where it came from, and how it let you identify yourself as part of one social group rather than another. I want to look briefly at some of the aspects of this, and in some ways this is timely. The IPCC report out this week says that we face a global catastrophe. It's unequivocal that human influence has warmed the atmosphere, the oceans and the land. In its summary, the report says, 1. Widespread and rapid changes in the atmosphere, ocean, cryosphere and biosphere have occurred. 2. The scale of recent changes across the climate system as a whole and the present state of many aspects of the climate system are unprecedented over many centuries to many thousands of years. 3. Human-induced climate change is already affecting many weather and climate extremes in every region across the globe. Evidence of observed changes in extremes such as heat waves, heavy precipitation, droughts and tropical cyclones and in particular their attribution to human influence has strengthened since the previous assessment report. That's not news you might say and I'd agree with you but the fact is that it's now news that it's not news. It's now being officially declared as true and something that we cannot hide from or pretend doesn't exist. That, I think, makes some change in the situation. Now, I'm not going to look at the global catastrophe per se. Today, I just want to look briefly at a small aspect of that. Cows and the idea of vegan meat or plant-based alternatives to meat. Let's start with some facts, although since these are all disputed... Maybe the word fact should be in quote marks. Firstly, it's generally accepted that every cow belches about 220 pounds of methane a year and that together cows worldwide create just less than 15% of all the greenhouse gases in the world. Secondly, there have been many attempts and indeed many successful attempts 
to treat this by breeding cows to produce less gas. So one attempt by the meat industry is to change the nature of cows. And most recently, research reports demonstrate that feeding cows seaweed as part of their diet reduces the amount of gas they produce. However, that on its own is not going to reduce the amount of gas to something that is non-existent. Moreover, there's a third issue to do with cows, which is cows themselves will suffer problems from the climate change they are bringing about or helping to bring about. Most of the cows in Europe are Holstein Frisian cows, and they were originally bred in the coastal regions of the Netherlands and Germany. And they're ideally suited to the kind of climate that traditionally you find in the Netherlands. And they have difficulties as the climate gets hotter. They're simply not suited to the kind of climate that we may be facing later in this century. Secondly, as extreme weather events become more frequent, ensuring a constant supply of high-quality food for dairy cows will become difficult. Most grazing pastures are ryegrass monocultures. In other words, we farm in a very, what we, farmers farm in a very specific way, an industrialised way, that creates monocultures that work from a nutritional perspective, but struggle mightily to cope if there are droughts and flooding. And droughts and flooding are the kind of extreme weather conditions the IPCC say that we should expect to find more of very soon. Okay, so what can we do about this? One thing we can do is eat plant-based food. Now, as I was saying earlier, my students, some of my students, have difficulty seeing plant-based food as separate from the kind of people that produce food. So one initial approach we have to decide is, are we going to be revolutionary and demand that the whole of capitalism dissolves and food production becomes an entirely different, local, collectively owned process? Or are we going to say, yeah, sure, if McDonald's need to exist, then they can produce vegan products and plant-based products as they do mainly in India? Now, veganism is not strictly the same as local, local small-scale, artisanal, etc. And we know that McDonald's aren't in the business of producing meat-based burgers. They're in the business of making a profit by delivering fast food. And if it was demonstrated to them that fast food that made a profit came from plants, then they would switch to making fast food from plants. Bear in mind that one of the other things that happened over the last week or two is the new CEO of Philip Morris, the tobacco company, argued in public that tobacco should be made illegal within the next 10 years. He actually said the company could see the world without cigarettes. And actually, the sooner it happens, the better it is for everyone. Cigarettes, he said, should be treated like petrol cars, the sale of which is due to be banned from 2030. Now, what that suggests, to me at least, is that Philip Morris International have seen that they're not actually in the business of making cigarettes. They're in the business of making money. And they've been buying wellness companies and pharmaceutical companies as they realise that making money from cigarettes is not going to fly for much longer. So I think we can look forward to companies like McDonald's and Burger King and their experiments with plant-based foods becoming a more central part of their business as demand for that increases. 
So the first thing I'd like to say is that veganism is not a religion, despite what some of my students might say from time to time. The second distinction I'd like to make is that in my view, there is a very big difference between meat and meat products. When I say meat, I'm talking about the kind of meat people have on their plates undisguised. A sirloin steak, a leg of lamb, that kind of thing. Whether you like it or not, whether you think it's disgusting or not, people eat meat in that way. Then there are meat products, sausages, burgers, nuggets, minced meat, which are used as the ingredients in other dishes. When you have a sirloin steak, if you have a sirloin steak, you go to a restaurant and you get a plate that's three quarters filled with steak with a small amount of potatoes and vegetables round it. If you have a shepherd's pie or a toad in the hole, you get meat product, sausages or minced meat, as part of the ingredients. But they're not the main ingredient and they're not even the main ingredient in a Whopper or a Big Mac. So with meat products, you can quite easily substitute the meat because the meat exists as part of an overall mixture and does not usually even provide the flavour of the overall mixture. So for meat products, you can swap out animal products without ruining the burger, without ruining the shepherd's pie, without ruining whatever it is you're serving. So that's the, se the second difference I'd like to make. The third one is I'm, I know that some people have tried to advance the argument that there are already vegan meals available. Nobody needs vegan sausages. Nobody needs vegan burgers. You can just make vegan meals. That's so silly. As far as I'm concerned, that argument is almost too stupid to, to oppose. For reasons I've just said, the meat is not the main ingredient in many meals that people think of as meat-based meals. Having eaten an impossible Whopper and having eaten a McVegan and having eaten Burger King's Rebel Whopper, now rebranded as plant-based Whopper, I can say that whatever one thinks about a Whopper, the experience is not at all spoiled by having an impossible Whopper or a Rebel Whopper. Because the whopperness of what you shove in your mouth does not depend upon the meat. You never find people sitting around in Burger King saying, mmm, the meat at this particular branch is very much better than the meat down the road. People don't talk about burgers in terms of the meat, or very, very rarely. They talk about them in terms of the sauces, in terms of the different kind of vegetables and cheeses included. And for those... One, as I said earlier, you can substitute vegetable-based patties, vegetable-based sausages, vegetable nuggets or whatever without ruining the taste. Vegetarian chili con carne, or whatever we're supposed to call it, works fine if you use corn or some soya-based meat substitute because the taste of chili con carne is not to do with the meat. It's to do with the chilies. And as I said, the argument that people should learn not to like having a bread-based concoction, the, the idea that people should somehow adapt their uh, whole approach to eating in order to avoid meat seems to me as stupidly Puritan as the idea that anything that McDonald's produces is not really vegan because it's from McDonald's. OK, so those are three initial approaches I would, I would lay out. So then when we come to the question, what do we mean by vegan meats? We again find three different levels. 
The first level uses traditional ingredients, soya, oats, beans of various sorts, and various vegetarian burgers have existed for 40 odd years, made with various different varieties of beans, various different varieties of peas, and soya. So you can use traditional ingredients mixed carefully to make something that will substitute for meat in seasoned dishes. And I suppose the main issue you have with the traditional ingredients is you want them not to taste of anything specific. So corn was the first newly introduced vegetable substitute, which was specifically found in order to create a meat substitute. So that that's the start of the second approach, which is what I would describe nowadays as NASA-level food processing. Both Beyond and Impossible, the two companies who have led this, and Oakley, the company that has led the move into oat milk, have developed highly complex processing techniques that bear no relationship to traditional cooking methods and hammer, pulverise plant-based ingredients into states that they've never, ever been in before. And the result of that is the impossible, amongst the results of that, are the Impossible Burger and the Beyond Burger, which not only aren't meat, but are touted as having the mouthfeel and the aftertaste of meat, which you don't get with soya. But that is because of the space-age gadgetry and sheer amount of scientific research that has gone well beyond anything that a chef would recognise and has evolved a new kind of food scientist. The third approach is lab meats. That's real meat with no animals. There have been various attempts to produce uh, lab meat and some have become more successful than others. None of them have yet produced lab meat that is uh, economically viable and none of them have yet produced lab meat that does not require a kickstarter from enzymes drawn from bulls. So they're not yet real non-meat meat. Arguably, We can see that the the material derived from animals is a technical issue that will be solved. Certainly some of the people involved in producing it say that and say we're just a couple of years away from having something that doesn't require any kickstarting from genuine animal proteins, but can be made entirely from scratch in the laboratory, no animals involved in any stage in the process. At that point, they are looking at providing non-animal based meat of the meat type that I was talking about earlier, the sirloin steak that hasn't been derived from an animal, the leg of lamb that's never been near a sheep. So we have these three approaches to non-dairy farming, non-farming meats. Now there are some issues raised with these I think. Let's look at them in reverse order. The lab meat as I said still needs animal ingredients to kickstart it and it's the only way we're likely to get non-animal meat as opposed to meat products. The space age labs of beyond and impossible require huge corporations with global markets to work. They simply aren't economically possible at a local level, nor are they the kind of thing you can rustle up in your own kitchen. You can make 
oat milk in your own kitchen. A couple of years ago with Pixelake here in Helsinki, I demonstrated this. I ran a series of workshops in which we made uh, a number of products that you don't normally associate with making at home at home. We made face creams and we made oat milk. The face creams worked perfectly. The oat milk produced something that is oat milk, but it didn't have the thick creamy texture that Oakley and other products like that have. It was watery and it wasn't something that you're going to give to an eight-year-old and say, pour this on your breakfast cereal. So Beyond Impossible, Oakley and other people like that require huge markets. They require large-scale industrial processes fueled by state-of-the-art scientific research. What's wrong with that, we might ask? Well, it tends to suggest that the problem of a quasi-monopoly in food production would increase rather than decrease if we moved into this kind of vegan food production. A new category of food is being created around us which has such a high barrier to entry that it requires the introduction of a major international corporation. So yes, we will solve the farming problem, but we won't solve any of the other problems. We will ship we'll be shipping our impossible burgers and oakley milk around the world globally and it will still have an enormous amount of food miles it will still have an enormous amount of externalized costs this leaves us with the traditional ingredients mixed nicely and the problem with that is that that doesn't sound cool it sounds like we're going to go back to the days of having soya burgers even though it will do an enormous amount of good. An Oxford University study, for example, showed that we can actually reduce global farmland by almost 80% if we switch to just growing crops rather than using the land to produce animal proteins. In other words, if we stop feeding cows and start feeding ourselves with what we have on the land, we'd require 80% less farmland. The problem we face, I think, is that my students were not completely wrong. If we want to change the world for the better, if we regard the production of food as having an important part to play in that, then we do need to go back to a traditional approach to food where people make more of it themselves. People understand more about food again. We go back to Jamie Oliver and his realisation 10 or 15 years ago that many people in England didn't know how to fry an egg. They'd lost any skills that their grandparents had in the rush to processed food. So I think we probably do need to look at reducing the amount of processed food, even where that processed food is strictly plant-based. On the other hand, there's no need to be entirely impossibilist in our demands. I think we might take the view that impossible or beyond as corporations are better than the current American farming monopolies. And in that sense, we should offer them our limited support, provided that at the same time, we seek to regenerate our own abilities to create our own food. Let me finish here by talking about vegan cheese for a minute, because I think this explains some of the differences between making things at home and making things industrially. I became interested in the whole idea of vegan cheese when I realised it didn't work and when I realised why it didn't work. I was reading the other day about uh, an actor talking about fame and he was talking about how some people go on talent shows nowadays not because they have a talent, not because they want to have a talent, but because they want to be famous. 
So they, they want the end product, but they've got no real interest in anything at the start or the middle of the process. They just want to do whatever it is to be famous. The industrial approach to vegan cheese is very like that. Vegan cheese is hor- has been horrible. And there is a very simple reason why it's horrible. Because people have said, what does cheese look like? And they've looked at the industrial processed cheddar you find on supermarket shelves. And they said, it looks like that. Looks like a block of stuff. Okay, surely we can make blocks of stuff out of oil and starch. And that's what they've done. And they've called it vegan blocks or cheesy wheezy or some something that indicates that it's cheese. But it's not. It's coconut oil and starch banged together into blocks. So it looks like a block of industrial cheese. But it doesn't do anything like cheese and it doesn't taste like cheese and it's disgusting. That's like wanting to be famous without having a talent. The actual question you need to ask is, what is cheese? And cheese is produced by fermentation. Traditionally, you ferment milk. So we have oat milk. What would happen if we fermented oat milk? That's the question you would need to start with. And what you would end up with is something that is cheese genuine cheese because it's fermented but not made from dairy products and it would not look necessarily like blocks of industrial cheese. Now I've been playing with this idea for 18 months or so and as I said I did the face cream and milk demonstrations at Pixelake as part of an op project and I was planning on doing uh, a cheese version of this. I was planning on making these cheeses, experimenting with them and then presenting them. Then I discovered uh, Miyoko Shinna. Miyoko Shina is an American chef and she has produced a book called Artisan Vegan Cheese. And I was delighted when somebody told me about it and I read it because I realised that I wasn't wrong. She'd approached it from exactly the same way. There needs to be artistry. There needs to be fermentation. It needs to be fermented, whatever you start with, which will make it cheese. And her book, Artisan Vegan Cheese, which I will link to in the uh, page on the meow.net website about this podcast, gives you a set of recipes for ur-drying cheese that will approximate camembert and cheddar and roquefort and cheeses like this. My plan, now I've got hold of a copy of this book, which was the other element in this that triggered uh, my interest in doing this podcast, my intention is to go away now and actually work with Miyoko Shinna's recipes. And I promise you, I will come back in a few months and tell you whether or not my vegan cheese tasted delicious. That's all I want to say for now. There are a load of references on the page for this podcast uh, on meow.net. Please check them out. See you again very soon. Bye for now. Now that you've heard the podcast, please go to the website. There you'll find much more details about topics talked about, links to references, and much more. You can find the website at meow.net. That's M-I-A-A-W dot net. See you there.